doing our study in Elijah. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, let's read verses 9 and 10. So we're studying this wonderful prophet of God, Elijah, and it says, he came, to, he came there unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant and thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So we're looking, uh, you know, we, we, we've been talking about him, uh, this man fleeing when you thought he would stand, uh, where he had stood many times before. But at this time, when Jezebel put this threat on his life to kill him by within 24 hours, basically he got scared and ran. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't get scared at other times because I believe, obviously, his eyes were on the Lord. He was trusting God. And, but this time he was weak. He was tired. He's a human being, like we've said many times. He's a man of like passions, okay? No excuse for it, but it is the, the reason it, that he failed um, is that he's a man. He wasn't a superhero. He's a human being. He got his eyes off the Lord. He put his eyes on himself. He put his eyes on his predicament and his circumstances, his situation. And he, he cared more about sparing his own life than, than doing the will of God, honestly, at that moment. And so uh, he, he flees, and we know that God doesn't upbraid him. God meets him out there in the wilderness when, and feeds him and gives him water and strengthens him for the journey that he set before him, which was 40 days. He went 40 days and nights in the strength of what God gave him. And he came unto Mount Horeb. And as he's out at Mount Horeb, this is where the Lord, he's in a cage. It's a cave, it says he lodged in a cave there in verse 9. And God comes to him and begins to speak to him. Uh, God's known all along what he's going to do and what he's going to say. He knows he's not through with the man. He's not throwing him, uh, saying, I'm done with you. I'll find somebody else. He is, he is going to seek and is seeking to restore him. It's a wonderful, wonderful, the wonderful things about the Lord. He's always, he'll reach us at the lowest point, point of our lives. Even if we're saved and we failed the Lord horribly and we knew better, um, he'll reach us at the lowest point wherever we are and he still can get under us and, and lift us back up, amen, and bring us back. His heart is to restore. So we need to know that. If you've sinned, you don't, don't run from the Lord. Come back to the Lord and say, God, forgive me, I have sinned. And don't make, make any excuses for it. Just say, I've sinned. And he's going to say like Nathan, the Lord said through Nathan, the prophet to David, the Lord's put away your sin. You're not going to die. You can have some consequences here, but you're not going to die. It's going to be okay. And, and so here he is dealing with this man, Elijah. And uh, like I said, we might not have expected to, to see him there or in, in a place like this, running and being afraid. But there's a lot that goes into that question. This is really where we left off last week, okay? It's interesting how the Lord can come with probing questions and, and begin to get us to answer those questions for ourselves. He already knows. And we, we talked about it when, when Adam and Eve sinned and Adam was hiding from the Lord in the garden, the first sin ever committed. And, and here he's hiding and, Adam, and the Lord comes in the cool of the day and into the garden and says, Adam, where are you? I know that you've heard it so many times in your life, but the Lord knew exactly where Adam was. 
God wanted Adam to see where Adam was. He wanted to see what his sin, what his sin had done. And, and to, to let him see the foolishness and the weakness and the, of that position that he was in. And so here's, here's uh, Elijah. It's interesting. if he's, he's a servant of God, right? There's no doubt about it. He was a servant of the Lord. His whole life, is, everything we read about him, He's, his name meant, I think, meant Jehovah is Jehovah or something like, you know, it meant the Lord is the Lord. And he says, the Lord in whose presence I stand continually. Okay, he, did, he didn't get scared and run. He waited. You know, when he was sent to the brook Cherith, he waited on God's next word. The word of the Lord came to him when the brook dried up, remember? When there was famine in the land because there was no rain. He waited. He didn't, he didn't get scared and run and make make his make do for himself he waited on god and god says i've got a widow woman to sustain you in zarephath he goes there and he didn't break ranks and run why because he's a servant of god because he's waiting on the lord's next word and the word of the lord came to him he didn't say i'm going to speak to you in five minutes five days five years however much time that was it was probably years because the whole span was three and a half years he waited on the lord and the lord came to him and the word of the lord came to him and said go show yourself to ahab and I'm going to send rain upon the earth. So we see him faithfully being a servant to God. That's the safest place to be. I always say the safest place to be is in the will of God. I don't care if the storms are raging around you, uh, the enemies are getting closer, whatever it may be. If you're there in the will of God, stay there. That's the place you want to be, okay? And, but he broke ranks and ran. And so the question is probing, like, what are you doing here? You're my servant. I didn't, I didn't call you to run and be out in the wilderness. Now, the Lord ended up meeting him there, obviously, and speaking to him, and which we're going to see, calling him to further ministries that he had for him. But still, what doest thou here, Elijah? If you're my servant, you're supposed to be waiting on me. You broke ranks, basically, and ran. Um, but we see this, again, because he's, 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 uh, he's not the Lord. He's a man, right? He's a man. And so, um, Adam, where are you? Same thing for Adam. And I think about, about Peter. Peter, um, after he had denied the Lord those three times on that night of his, his arrest. <clears throat> and then we see Peter later, even after the resurrection and after Jesus had appeared to them uh, at least two times before this, that Jesus comes to Peter on the seashore and says, Peter, do you love me? He starts with a question, right? Do you love me? He, he knew he wanted Peter to, to think about it and for it to sink in. So God sometimes does that. But again, he didn't upbraid him. There's nothing wrong if the Lord had. But we read uh, that God met him with compassion. And he didn't excuse him. But he, his, remember, his desire was to restore. So if this man had just come and said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, I got scared of a, a woman. You're faithful. You didn't abandon me. But I don't know what, what I was thinking. Why my faith wavered. You know, he could have just done that. But instead, he begins to uh, actually like ev evade the question. God asks him, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he doesn't really begin to explain what he's doing there. He begins to almost uh, tell things that God already knows quite well. He begins to tell him about his faithfulness to the Lord. I've been faithful. These other people, Israel, they've killed all your prophets and thrown down your altars. The Lord knew all that. 
okay? The Lord knew all that, and, and he begins to talk about his loyalty to God, which he had been loyal to the Lord, and he begins to contrast himself with other people. We need to be careful not to do that. Randy, why did you do that? Well, Lord, I'm sure way better than all these other people. You know what I mean? He's not asking me about other people. He's asking me about me. What am I doing here? What am I doing here? Okay. He says, and let's look at it in verse 10. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. This is all true. It's, he's not lying. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars. You remember the, the total idolatry of the land. They gotten so bad, that's why there was the famine. That's why there's fire called down from heaven, right? God is desiring to turn the people back to himself, and he wants to use his man Elijah to do it. He ran. He probably was much more needed back there to see the revival on, so to speak, rather than to, to flee for his own life. But he says, they've, thrown, they've slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, only I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So remember, he's just asked the Lord, go ahead and take my life. That's what he had prayed under the juniper tree. And again, all this was very well known to the Lord. What he just rehearsed right there, but it was not what he was asking him. It wasn't the question that God was asking him. He's totally, as we said, a good word would be demoralized. He would be demoralized. And um, you can even see a little self-vindication self where he's, justifying himself somewhat, how much better, again, he had been than all the people around him. Uh, and again, all this was true. I imagine he had longed and wept for his nation to turn back to God during those years. He had seen the idolatry, had seen the backslidden state of the nation. He cared. It did matter to him, okay? He, he felt it. He also felt very alone. We talked about that before. When you're serving God, there are times, maybe a lot of times, but there are times you, that we feel very alone. We feel very alone even among other believers at times because God may be calling us on deeper. He might be calling us on uh, to a life that even the people around us that are believers are not living. And it can be lonely at times, but God never forsakes us, amen? He fills us with his joy and his companionship. We have the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And again, there, there was, all this was known to God, and there was fault with other people, so to speak. There, there was, the nation of Israel had turned to idols. They had allowed the queen and, you know, to kill all the prophets of God in the land and so forth. And, but, but that's, God was dealing with him. So it's one of the things we really want to look at tonight is it's, it's not enough to, when God's dealing with, he had fled his post, so to speak. If he's a servant, a soldier of the Lord, he fled, okay, where he should have stood and could have stood. And God's going to meet with them, and he begins to point all, all these other directions around him, the people, the people are this, the whatever, they want to kill me. There was fault with others. There's no doubt there was great fault and sin in the land and the people right around him and in Jezebel and in Ahab and the people uh, that he was directly dealing with. But God was dealing with him. God was dealing with him at this moment. And so he still didn't answer the question, what doest thou here, Elijah? And I want to talk to you all. I don't know how, how far we'll get uh, tonight as far as, you know, covering scriptures. 
but I want to talk about this for a moment. I believe the Lord would have us to. That question of the Lord, what doest thou here, is a good question. It is a question that God still asks of his people. I think he asks it of people. I think he asks it of individuals. I'll use myself for example, uh, for an example, and I pray y'all don't get tired of hearing me talk. I'm not talking about myself. When I talk about myself, I'm talking about what God's done in my life and where he brought me from. And I have to point to you and tell horrible things you did. <laughs> I can look at my own life. I don't have to look any further. When I was at LSU, it's almost as though I can remember the Lord at times. At one, one time, distinctly remember at a, a party that I was at sometime in my college career um, as a believer. And it's almost the Lord saying, what, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And God deals with us. And when God's called a, a minister to minister and we leave our post, you know, we're supposed to be teaching these kids. We're supposed to be doing such and such. And we don't. We get in our flesh. We get in our, ourselves. We get tired of it. We get uh, nobody's responding. That before you're here. A bunch of people that don't do in here in the movie theater with that before your eyes, with a bunch of people that don't know me all around laughing at that, what are you doing here? What are you doing, you know, with, the, uh, with those, those people that don't even know me? You're not bringing the gospel to them. You just want to hang out with them. What are you doing here? God asked that question. It's a good question to ask. We're sitting in the seat of the scornful. sitting in the seat of the scornful, walking in the way of the ungodly, and it's like a lightning bolt, and the Lord says, what are you doing here? That's a good thing, by the way. It's not good that we're there. It's good that God comes and meets us there and deals with us about it. We have no excuse, nor should we look for one. If God's given you a great gifting in your life, and you're using it for selfish purposes or, and not for God, or what if you're not using it at all for the Lord? And he's called you. God's called you to serve and you're not serving. You've been talking about serving the Lord long enough. And God said, what are you doing here? You know that, that, that parable that Jesus gives that, that there were people. And like the, uh, I forgot what time of the day, late in the evening of the day. And the, the, the master of the vineyard was going out to look for workers for his field. And there was people still standing around. Like, what are you doing here? At this time of day, you should be working. You should be working. Life is for doing. There's a rest that remains for the people of God. I'm not saying we're busy just to be busy, like the little rat spinning on the wheel, okay? I'm saying we're, we're busy in the will of God and in the things of God. We're serving the Lord, whatever it is he's called us to do. And so uh, what doest thou here? There are people that have talked about serving God all their lives, and they're still not serving God. They intend to at some point. They intend to. And, and the Lord is saying to you and to me, if that's the case, what doest thou here? Are you standing around idle all day? What in the world are we waiting for? What do you think? The, the, the moral climate of the world is going to get better all of a sudden, and it will be more uh, uh, conducive to Christian work? It's not. 
If he's called you to serve, he's gifted you to serve, called you to serve, go speak the gospel to somebody. Take some young man around the neck and say, tell me, I've been praying and reading your Bible. What's going on with you? You know what I'm saying? To, to get involved and serve the Lord. Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. That's his meat. That was what sustained him. Amen. He says, my father worketh hitherto and I work. We're not talking about working just for busy work. There's enough of that. We're talking about hearing God, knowing what he's called us to do and doing it. And doing it with all of our hearts and doing it as long as he's called us to do it. Until he tells us to stop or calls us home. Amen. And so God's called us to that. So the Lord uses this uh, I guess it's almost a parable. You know, we did all our Sunday school lesson on all the, the parables that I didn't even know were parables, half of them. But they were wonderful. But this, this what, what he's about to show him is like a real-life parable. All right? And I want you to read with me. So let's read verses 11 and 12. 1 Kings 19, 11 and 12. And the Lord, this is speak, the Lord speaking. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by... And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, still small voice. Still small voice. You know, we think um, when you got a, I've never seen wind personally, and I've lived through hurricanes like y'all have. Seen a tornado one time a, a distance a long way off the interstate. Don't ever want to get too close to one. But I've never seen a wind strong enough to break a mountain or chunks of the mountain and the rocks in pieces. That's what we're told. That was a mighty wind. And what's interesting is all of these symbols, okay, I mean, they were real things, but all of those, a wind and a fire and an earthquake, the Lord had, had through the ages and through the Bible, we read different times where he did manifest his presence. On the day of Pentecost, there was a rushing mighty wind and fire sat upon the disciples. It represented his presence in the coming of the, of the gift of the Holy Ghost. Uh, other places, we see the Lord manifest in fire, you know, a pillar of fire by night, a pillar of cloud by day. Uh, when Jesus gave up the ghost on Calvary, it says there was a great earthquake that took place. And the skies were darkened in an earthquake. So these would have been appropriate symbols uh, that God had used before. Anything's appropriate if God wants to use it. But you understand my point. Symbols where it wouldn't have been foreign to, for God to use them. A fire and an earthquake and a wind. But he was not in any of those things. And I think it's interesting it says that in verse 12, but the Lord was not in the fire, all right, or the wind, or the earthquake. It, he came and spoke to his prophet, who was in a bad state, demoralized state. He came and spoke to his prophet in a still, small voice. And something about the still, small voice, I believe, began to touch the man's heart. I believe the Lord began to deal with him in a still, small voice 
and begin to bring him to a place of brokenness and restoration. The fire couldn't, didn't do it, and the earthquake didn't do it, and the strong wind that broke the rocks in pieces didn't do it. But when he heard the still small voice, verse 13, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And the Lord brings the same question that he asked him twice before, Elijah, what doest thou here? I don't know that I can put in words personally how many times I've read about Elijah, preached and taught on Elijah in the still small voice. There's something to it. <laughs> there's something to it that I believe is deep, and there's something to it that's profound. That God doesn't always just manifest himself in some big blaring way, which he can, which he can and has before. But in that still, small voice, it began to touch the man. It began to soften his heart. It began to break his heart. It, it, the Lord came in some tender way. It's the best way I can put it. In some tender way. And began to deal with the man about his life. And I want to thank God for a still, small voice. He knows what's needed. And when he heard it, Wrapped his face in his mantle. Why did he do that? Because this is the Lord. This is God. This is God talking to me. This is God dealing with me. This is the Lord. And he wrapped his face in a mantle, his mantle. He didn't wrap it when the earthquake came. There's something to it, y'all. I pray God would show us all. I feel I have a glimpse of it, but I don't know that I can say it exactly. Um, he was disappointed. He was at a place of being disappointed. He was like the two disciples that Jesus met up on the Emmaus Road. And, and he says, what is this conversation? This is the resurrected Lord. And they didn't know it was the resurrected Lord before he ascended. And after he, after he was risen from the dead, he didn't make himself known to them. He says, what is this conversation you two guys are having as you walk along and are sad? Well, are you new in these parts and haven't heard? Jesus, a man mighty in deed and word. We, we had hoped. That's almost all they have to say. It's past tense. It's in the rear view mirror. We had hoped that he would be the Savior. I know I'm paraphrasing. This is the third day, and some ladies said they saw him after he was risen from the dead. He's been crucified. We had hoped. They were just down. They were disheartened. They were confused. They were hurt. They had spent three and a half years with Jesus and thought it was going to turn out differently, even though he told them, son of man is going to be betrayed into the hand of the Jews, and he's going to be killed and rise again the third day. But their, their hearts were hard and their eyes were blinded to that truth. And Jesus begins to expound the scriptures the whole way as they walk that day. And anyway, my, my point is that he comes to us in a way that's needed at that moment. If it's a lightning bolt that's needed, he would send a lightning bolt. 
if it's a wind to break the rocks in pieces and we see the power of God, then he'll send a rock that breaks, I mean, wind that breaks the rocks in pieces. If it's an earthquake that's needed, he'll send an earthquake. But he sent uh, in a still small voice. And I just want to read this. I don't always just read directly from the F.B. Meyer book that I've been studying, but I want to read this because I certainly can't say it any better. He says, it seemed as though God was saying, my child, thou hast been looking for me to answer thy prayers with striking signs and wonders. And because these have not been given, thou hast thought me heedless and inactive. I'm not always to be found in these great visible movements. I love to work gently, softly. I have been working so, and I am working so still. I just think that's an amazing thing of the Lord. We want to see, and I know I do, revival in our country. I want to see revival that sweeps from east to west, west to east, north to south. I don't care what direction it goes. And just sweeping millions into heaven. I read about mighty revivals where the bar rooms closed and the Welch revivals. Where the, the workers in the coal mines were so transformed and saved that they stopped cursing. So when they cursed at the mules who, hired, who, drugged the, uh, who pulled the carts of coal in and out of the mines, the mules didn't understand them anymore. Because they used to curse at the mules to get them to move and haul the carts of coal. But they've been saved and they don't curse anymore. People that own bars, they close down because nobody goes anymore. Real revivals that we read about that goes on and on for years and builds. Not a revival service in a church where people are touched and said that was amazing. That's wonderful too. But we think sometimes it has to be like the big uh, promotion. If we can get so-and-so saved or we can get this well-known speaker, if we can get this athlete saved, get him out there, imagine the influence that he would have. We think it has to be this big, powerful thing. And when those things are present, then we have a confidence where God's really with us. When we see maybe... Uh, some of the big things going on. It gives us a, uh, like a confidence that the Lord is with us. But God oftentimes, and I would say most oftentimes, works in a gentle way. It's not weak. He works in a, in a still small voice. He works in an in a individual's life. And, and that can spark revival. Don't get me wrong. And then it, you can see the flames of it. But, you know, I was thinking about this. Even in nature, you know, we, we see lightning bolts in a couple of, one a summer or something like that. Or every 10 years or something, we get a big hurricane, see something really mighty. You know, when I was thinking, some of, what are some of the most strong, the strongest forces in nature that you don't even notice? Like gravity. Gravity's holding everything together. You're not a, it holds you on the ground so we don't float out in the space, all right? But you don't think about it. You don't see it and think about it as a mighty thing. That would be stronger than a lightning bolt. 
How about these, these bonds, electrical bonds that holds atoms together and the atoms hold everything together? You don't think about that and see that as unbelievable power. But you know, when they begin to split the atom in, in fusion and they, they begin to see the power of that. My point is that a lot of times God, and I would say most times, he's working almost imperceptibly, but he's working nonetheless. What does it say about Jesus? What do the scriptures say about him? That he didn't strive, nor cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. That didn't mean he didn't speak publicly, but he wasn't like a herald walking through the street saying, hear ye, hear ye. You know what I'm saying? He, he wasn't like that. He, the Bible said he wasn't going to be like that. He wasn't like that. Doesn't mean he didn't have uh, power. I mean, even when he came and, and the eternal son became flesh and dwelt among us, he was born in a little shepherd on a you know, I mean, in Little Major, where shepherds were the only ones that, that knew about it. He's working in ways that a lot of times we don't see. When the Holy Spirit, what's the, the symbol given in the Bible of the coming of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus? He comes in form, came in form of a dove, not a bald eagle, not a condor, okay? Not in a lightning bolt. He came, the Spirit of Almighty God... Almighty God came upon him in the form of a dove. A dove. David says, thy gentleness has made me great. Your, what made you great? Your gentleness made me great. God's working He's not working oftentimes as we would expect him to work. But he's working. He's working, okay? And we can have confidence in that. He's not working in the wind, and he's not working in the earthquake, and he's not working in the fire. You know how he's working? He's working in one heart at a time. Oftentimes. One heartbreak at a time. Or someone's heart's broken. And the Lord knew what they needed. He's not working in the thunder sometimes. You know what he's doing? He's working in a still, small voice. He's not working in a huge crowd of people. He's working in one heart. One lonely person. He's working. Okay, I promise you, he's working. I just actually want to close, and I want us to take a few minutes to pray tonight. I think of certain people in the Bible. This, this with Elijah has always ministered to me, and I, I said I can't even explain why it's ministered to me, but it's ministered to me. Uh, The Lord coming in his gentleness, the Lord coming in his compassion, the Lord coming in his mercy, the Lord coming in his wisdom, knowing what's needed when we would expect. We need a lightning bolt, God. We need a lightning bolt. We need fire from heaven to fall. 
the Lord knows what's needed, and if that's what's needed, He can sure send it. He can sure send it. But for Him to get one individual heart or life that you've been praying for your brother, you've been praying for your mother uh, for all these years, to trust and believe that God is working, that God is working. I just want to pray tonight. These altars are open. I want, you, I want us to believe God to work. And, and I'm not limiting God. If he wants to send an earthquake and that's what America needs or Baton Rouge needs or whatever, uh, he can do it however he chooses to do it. But understand he's not off on a trip somewhere. He's working. He's working. And I, I quote it again. Jesus said, my father worketh hitherto or up until now, and I work. He's working. He's working in the hearts and the lives of those you're praying for to give their life to Christ. He's working. Believe him. Trust him. Pray. Altars are open. Let's meet with the Lord for a few minutes tonight. Just come and thank him. Come and call upon him. Thank him for a still, small voice. I need to have good spiritual ears to hear him. Elijah knew it was God. That's why he wrapped his face in a mantle. This is God speaking to me. This is God speaking to me. We need to hear his voice. And we can hear his voice. He said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow. Father, we come before you tonight.